that's a lot of what's driving the national conversation right now is yeah. fear. It's fear. I mean, like everyone's everyone's freaked out. Um, we're sort of on the cusp of we're on the cusp of sort of like redefining um, a number of things that used to sort of hold together our social compact. Yeah, and um, and we're sort of, we're breaking them open, you know, for I think for good reasons, but um, there's a big unknown on the other side of that, and. Just to get a little bit more specific on what I mean by that and to sort of relate relate that yeah. to you. Um, you know, marriage between a man and a woman was a bedrock cornerstone institution of sort of West, of all society yeah. uh, for, you know, the last 3,000 years, right? We're now breaking that open, right? And, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm one of the guys that says it's okay. I think we should be breaking that open. You know, we should be um, allowing marriage equality. In my heart of hearts, that's the right thing to do. But there's... There's real social consequences that come with, with cha- with changing that. You know, um, the LGBT movement has led to a, a real collective liberalization of our values around sexuality, that is, you know, spreading from the Western, from the Western world, to to, to developing nations even. Yeah. Right. Um, so the, the the rates of marriage and um, children out of marriage are you know much lower than they were also less people are getting married in general right yeah. so um less people are getting married in general the rise of women in the workforce were just 30 years ago they were kind of expected to stay at home yeah um the you know the 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 cusp of what we're on of what i would call the fourth industrial revolution where we're, we're about to automate a bunch of people out of their jobs yeah you know um and you combine that with uh ever widening sense of you know income inequality in the world people are understandably freaked out you know and so that drives a lot of fear 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 you know it's everywhere it's everywhere and so like i think like the the grown-ups are experiencing a lot of fear you know at the highest levels at the highest levels of congress and 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 you know the state department and in the world you know internationally the fear is sort of the the driving force or was the driving force of 2017 but the um the kids feel in a different way, right? When you're yeah. sort of like in the minority in high school and, um, they do, they, you know, and you get, a you're going of, through a little bit of what Eminem went through. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much <laughs> <laughs> that, that movie eight mile. Yeah. That, that, that was, that was a pretty deep movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people, a lot of people don't take it as that because they didn't have to live and experience that. Yeah, that yeah. Cult, that culture uh, shock, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, that was a, that was a deep movie. Um, so so you're you're a freshman in 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 uh, in, in, in junior high school yeah. or or high school. Yeah, and uh, I mean the level of bullying that, I mean you can imagine it. You can I'll bet yeah. You can you can. It was going home today. Going home on the bus. You know, we're going to jump you today when you get off the bus. Oh, uh, you had to ride a city bus, you know, and there'd be kids waiting for you, you know, at the bus stop. And I was never at, at that age. I was never a, I wasn't confident. I wasn't strong. I was, you know, I was I was a wiry kid. I was, you know, I was physically athletic. I was yeah, always yeah. gifted with uh, gifted with a little bit of uh, athleticism that other kids didn't have. But I didn't know that I had that. At the same time, I was very, very weak in my confidence and, uh, uh, kids would just, you know, they all, everybody will recognize a target right away. Oh yeah. Predators always have a nose for They recognize prey. They have a nose for the prey and I was the prey and it led to, to me, from me being so passive, it led to continuous, uh, humiliation and torment to the point where I was forced to fight. Yeah. So yeah. I, I fought and I fought and I fought and it made me, it, 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 it made me stronger, but it also, it also uh, put a certain amount of doubt and uh, mistrust in, in human beings in general. Oh, I'll bet. You yeah, know? for sure. Uh, so i just went through fight after fight, man, you know, uh, Someone someone starts something with my sister. I'd be, I'd be in a fight with them over my sister. And, you know, people thought I was a bad kid, you know, because I was always, always getting in fights. You know, they're like, this guy's a bad kid. But the, the real, 
the real uh, root of the uh, of, of it was the torment that I was enduring that I really believe that environment creates people. I yeah yeah I've grown to think that like if you can take a you can take a really really good person and put them in a, in a bad environment and before too long they're going to take on a lot of those those elements from that environment. Yeah, and so this was so this was um this was a high school in Vallejo. Yeah, well, in the, this in was the junior high school. Junior high school in Vallejo. In the, in I the, couldn't even make it through the high school. What's that, in the early 90s? Yeah, in the 90s. In the, okay, yeah. so for folks, because, uh, you know, there's, uh, from what I understand, I think there's folks listening from around the world. So yeah. um, Vallejo, Northern California is a suburb, is a is an East Bay suburb of San Francisco. You know, it's kind of like the, the very end of the, the Bay Area, right? Um would it's the be, armpit of the Bay Area. The armpit of the Bay Area. Would it be fair to describe it as economically depressed? And yeah, it's yeah. it's the sister city of Stockton. They're two of the only. I think they're the only two cities in California to go fiscally bankrupt. Yeah, uh, yeah, and they're they're, you know, they're the two only like economically depressed cities in the Bay Area region. Yeah, and yeah. The, 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 and, and so it's a city sort of struggling with some like some economic depression and recession as well as. Um, probably like a fractured racial ethnic identity. Yeah, they well, it's it's a very diverse city. Yeah. Um for everybody but the Caucasians. Like Yeah. There you you won't find too many Caucasians in Vallejo. There not too many that live there or, you know, there's a lot of uh Hispanic, a lot of Filipino. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pacific Islanders and a lot of African Americans. Well, it's interesting. Like diversity is diversity is, um, I think, fundamentally a good thing. Um, but it can be tough when you feel like the minority. Now, what's interesting to me is sort of how do how does a Caucasian kid in your in your in your you know example yeah. um, find sort of solace in maybe like because you know like naturally we all we all want to be with people that are like us, right? Now, I didn't get a lot of this. I didn't get too much of this growing up because I grew up, you know, Mexican by by birth and by immigration, by heritage. Mm-hmm. But I look white. So I was kind of always able to go through, you know, kind of both worlds a little bit. Mm-hmm. But for a white kid to to say, you know, especially in your situation, to be like, you know, I'd like to 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 find some people that look like me and that are going through the same things that I that I'm going through. That's like not allowed. No, it, and that's it, it, yeah, it's frowned upon in, it, in it, some sort in some sense it, of the yeah. The and I don't think that's right. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I honestly don't think that's right because when you, you know, one of my most closely held beliefs is that repressions create perversions. So if there was like Definitely. a, when you repress, when you repress people's ability to do that, they're going to be like, okay, well, I'm just going to not tell anybody, but I'm going to maybe check out the skinheads. Yeah. They'll, well, I can see that. Yeah. They'd identify with that. Yeah. Yeah. Where um, it's like, if you could just like, if you, well, you're allowing all these other groups to, to have, you know, groups based on ethnic identity. Um, how do how do white people do that without becoming skinheads? Either that, you know? or you completely lose your sense of uh, of uh, individuality, and you become uh, and and you become what is the majority to the best of your ability. Yeah. yeah. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, uh, you know, I've heard I've heard white people called culture vultures, or you know, these kind of <laughs> these kind of the cultural these, the culture vultures. I like yeah, that. Yeah. These kind of these kind of. Uh, <laughs> These, these kind of things and and to me those are derogatory comments yeah it is derogatory because most of the time uh when you when you hear those kind of uh th- those those kind of uh analogies or you know people comparing people to some something it's these it's these kids that ha- that cannot uh have their own identity they cannot attach to the eastern european or, or western european uh identity yeah there, there isn't that that's not available for them. Those those cultures aren't there for them. So, you know, just like you said, they want to be part of something. Everybody wants to be part of something. Right, right. So they so they go to hip hop like Eminem, or right. you know, or and 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 I don't think anyone in any group individually owns those things. Right, right. Like it's it's like. You're talking a little bit about what people nowadays call cultural appropriation. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, it's like people people get this sense where they they think, "Oh, I, you know, that's from my people." But no, it, it's not. 
Right. That's an that's as American as they say is apple pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the point. Of the, <laughs> that's the point of the melting pot too, right? Yeah. You know the the cultural appropriation discussion is an interesting one to me too. I, you know, again, just to reframe this for folks that are that are joining us, the question is, you know, for you know, for a guy like Keith who grew up, um, who grew up sounds like a working working poor, struggling in, in Vallejo, in Northern California, uh, economically depressed, r- racially segregated city. Um, how do the how do the disaffected, disenfranchised, and lower middle class white kids? How do they find something to be part of without going into the neo-Nazis or the skinheads, right? And, yeah. And we're talking about sort of like everyone wants to be part of something. Um, and that led us to this discussion about cultural appropriation. And the reason I wanted to touch on this was, frankly, because um, Florida Georgia Line. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of them. I, I think I have. Yeah, they're like a – they're like a. Uh, they actually kind of pissed me off. But they're like this um, country group. Okay. Now, what they were doing uh, – you know, maybe they don't piss me off, but the reaction to them kind of pisses me off. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what they're doing. This they're they're essentially laying down hip hop beats, okay, and then they're sort of putting like country lyrics over hip hop beats, okay. Which is, I think, totally. I think it's actually kind of cool. Like it's American, I, right? It's American. Yeah, I actually, I actually do think it's kind of cool. What pisses me off about it is country country fans are like. Oh wow! I've never heard this before. Yes, you have. It's fucking hip hop. Yeah. But now that now that you got white guys with guitars singing it, it's so fucking deep. They're trying to invent. They're trying to uh, pretend like they invented the the hip hop. Right. Yeah. Or they're trying to. They're you know because like a lot of those same people are like, oh, I don't like hip hop. It's all hoes and bitches and, yeah. and cars and girls. So it's like, well, it, it's really not. Like that's really kind of like a, a generalization that you created out of out of your fear for fully grown adult black men yeah. in America. Um, but you're also now acting like this is so original, yeah. and it's really just borrowed from hip hop. That is actual cultural appropriation because you don't understand it. Yeah. So you're so yeah. you're trying to label it as something that's not. Yeah, yeah. You know what pisses me off about the cultural appropriation discussion thing is like this whole like white girls can't wear hoop earrings. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? If I mean, especially if that if they grew up around that and that was considered attractive, like yeah. How can you tell someone who who was influenced, you know, by these uh these 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 hip hop stars in in their neighborhoods that they grow grow up in to not behave like them? Yeah, you yeah. know, to not to not be interested in that. I mean, when you come from one of these places, success is far few and far between. Yeah, like yeah. I can tell you for uh for fact that I'm one of the only kids that I grew up with. Uh, out of all the kids I grew up with, that uh, has a family, has a wife, has a uh, what would be con- con- uh, considered an American uh, lifestyle, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a decent American uh, lifestyle. Uh, many of my uh, friends are drug addled, uh, in prison, or you know, um, uh, dead. Yeah, yeah. and th- these things happen to them because they had no positive role models. And the, the role models they did have were from hip hop, uh, or local drug dealers, right, or right. Uh, you know uh, successful uh, entrepreneurs. That's why some of them are businessmen. You know, there's not enough in the inner city. There's not enough positive uh, communication coming from the people that have success for. Uh, people to grab onto and 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 grasp, you know, a rung on the ladder to climb up. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think, there's definitely a sense of that. Like, um, for for me, growing up immigrant, there was a sense of like, well, you know, you kind of move from one stage of your life to the next, and where you would look back to previous generations for guidance, you're seeing a void there yeah. because your parents came from another country, and really much of their life story is just it's just um, caught up in just getting here, settling down, just providing the very basics for you. Yeah. And then as you kind of push further and further into society um, through your own progress that your parents' sacrifice allowed you to make, you you realize that there's kind of not anybody there to show you the way. And this is especially true for um, migrant families Um you know, if you think about like how fucked can you be? Like you you immigrate from another country, and then as soon as you get here, your parents split up. You're like, well, fuck. There's like literally nobody to show you the way. You know, there you go. Um, 
and that's you know that's the same too and you know the re- the story isn't really about migration or cultural or ethnic heritage it's really about about poverty and means it was to say poor is not poor and desperate is not white no color yeah uh, hispanic chinese none of that it <laughs> it is just poor and desperate yeah 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 and at that stage you'll do anything to congregate with people that are in your same same situation yeah. that understand where you're coming from or you know or sometimes you just die on the vine man yeah you know? yeah that's that's totally that's totally true as well i um <laughs> i um yeah i remember uh a friend of mine she um this was this was this was years ago. I was I was dating this girl year, years before I met my before I met my wife, but she had she had recently graduated college, and she's like, "Hey, help me write this email to my grandparents. You're a good writer." I was like, "Okay, well, what's going on?" And she's like, "Well, they just um, they just paid off fifty thousand dollars in student loans for me. They just wrote a check from their trust." Wow. Um, I'd like to send them a thank you email. What should I write? And I was like, well, fuck, how do I find the words? <laughs> you know? How do you thank somebody for doing something like I that? I was like, you know, I, like, I just had this, like, whole, like, I, I just had this, like, I couldn't even, I didn't even know what to say, you know? Yeah. I didn't even know what to say. And I was like, well, you know, tell them about how you, how you're more free to pursue your, your hobbies and your dreams and, you know, because you're, because you're, like, not saddled with that. Yeah. She says, oh, that's good. That's good. You know, and like, but in the back of my mind, I'm just like, wow. You know, and then you you compare that to, you know, guys like you and I. I now I get the sense that you might not be super close with a lot of people that you went to high school with. Still, um, actually, I only speak to like maybe two people that I that I you went to high school with. Yeah, yeah. same here. You know why? Because the rest of them are fucking dead or in jail or total nut, total total fucking knuckleheads, and I just can't keep up with them. Now, you know, contrast that to, you know, a person who went to a high school full of like kids that are going to you know really move forward in society those are people that they're now like doing business with yep you know those are people those are connections that they're now monetizing you know and so i think as you as i get older i really start to realize how the you know even even when i was younger maybe i thought i was like able-bodied or talented or whatever but in reality in reality i was like so far behind i thought i was ahead That's pretty much that's that's that could be the story of my life right there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I so from there, man, living in that uh, living in that city, uh, to segue back into jujitsu. Uh, I as I went through high school, I got kicked out of continuation, or kicked out of regular high school for fighting, put into continuation school. Uh, I had a I was always willing to work. My yeah, aunt got yeah. my aunt got me a job at Safeway in Albany, so it was kind of a reprieve because I would go out to Emeryville and Albany and to the real Bay Area to work, and I wouldn't be in Vallejo at the time, so I'd be making money coming back. So, you know, like any poor kid, I started buying nice clothes. Like I'd buy, I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd like, hey man, right you know, the, I got right into the debt I, trap. I got money now. I'm gonna buy some nice clothes, some nice shoes. I didn't have any of that stuff. Yeah, you know, I'd yeah. wear the same pants for a week straight. Yeah. And, uh, or what I thought was nice clothes back then, you know, whatever, whatever the fashion was, it's probably ridiculous now, but anyway, uh, so I'm going to this continuation school called people's high and I, and I got a, I got a lot of money in my pocket, you know, cause I've been saving my money and I mean, I wasn't, wasn't making very much, but back then it was decent. You know, I was, in, I was in the grocery union. I was yeah, working. Those were, those are some of the last union jobs. Yeah. I was working, yeah. uh, pretty much like 32 to 40 hours a week when I'd work one week, 32, the next week, 40, just so I wasn't full time. Yeah. And, uh, I was doing fine. And so these kids at this point, you're like 18 and, and this is, and this is in a, uh, yeah, well, I'm about 17. Okay. And, uh, we're actually 16 and, and this school, this people's high school was in an opposing neighborhood from the neighborhood that I came from. Cause, uh, Vallejo is, uh, broken up into what they, what, what they call sets. Right. So yeah. you'd be from, uh, one set and they don't have gangs per se. It's like, not like Crips and Bloods, but it's whatever set you're from, you know? So I'm, I'm from, I was from the Hills. I'm, okay. I still am from the Hills, you know? Uh, and, uh, uh, that side was 
opposed to this other side, which was called Lofus, and that's where the school was. And the Lofus, uh, the Lofus kids found out where I was from, and they seen my, uh, you know, my clothes, and so they decided they were gonna, you know, they were gonna jump me. Oh shit! And there's, you know, probably a hundred kids. Oh my god! Uh, not not a, a, a not exaggeration. Maybe like a hundred kids waiting for me. Uh, were gonna be waiting for me after school. I mean, they were they were fired up. And wow! It, it, I was I was scared. I was like, man, I gotta get out of here. So that's a mob mentality shit. That's how people get killed. Yeah. Well, I had a uh, I had a pocket knife. Oh my and god! I, and I was in a desperate situation, so I pulled a pocket knife on a on a kid at school. And uh, got me immediately, you know, got me immediately expelled and, and arrested that day. They ended up letting me go because I explained the whole, you know, the whole situation of what had that went on. That they were on from the loafers why, or whatever. Uh, the loafers, yeah. And why why I did, you know, what I did. And they still expelled me, though. And then uh, I had to go to uh, this court school. And basically it was with a probation officer uh, office, probation office upstairs from the court school. Oh my so God. So I spent my last two years and these were all the, like the worst kids that Vallejo had to offer. I'll bet. <laughs> they put them, they all put them there in this, it was an old bank and my class was essentially in a vault. <laughs> like this is, and we, we all, yeah, it doesn't seem like that's where they send the good kids <laughs> in this vault all day long. And the, uh, the uh, principal was like the head of probation for juvenile probation. And, uh, I actually had a good teacher. His name was Mr. Jones, and the and the kids uh, that I was with, in school with, they were uh, they ended up being like decent kids. You know, they had they had trouble, but this is their last chance. They're trying to do most of them were trying to do what was right. Every now and then, one of them would disappear, and you know where you know where he went. Right, know? right. But uh, like for the most part, people are trying to get it get it back together. Yeah, and. And the whole time there, I guess. Especially like, at that age, it takes a real motherfucker to be like, no, I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go. Exactly. It's, it's going to. What, what happens after that point? Like a couple of guys I went to school with, you know, one of them robbed, robbed someone in a, a liquor store and shot him and is in prison still right now, as far as I know. Oh, my and God. And like, you know, there's just several different stories of, of, of things like that. But I did well for my last uh, three years of school. Or two and a half years of school. And uh, I just did all my work. Kept, you know, kept my nose at the grindstone. Didn't mess with no one. Didn't get involved with the school. I'd basically go to school and go uh, and go to my buddy Tom's house where I lived at the time. And uh, the, the one thing about that school is it didn't offer a graduation uh, uh, avenue. Like okay. It wasn't an accredited school. Oh, no. Okay. So... Basically, all my credits, all my credits didn't matter. So then I, so then I went to uh, Vallejo Adult School and got my diploma. And so, what was the point of the school? Basically, just to keep you out of trouble. Just say, come sit your ass down here. Keep you off the streets. Oh my god! You know how pointless. And it, well, it, it was better than being out on the streets because there was, I mean. You walk two blocks down, and it was downtown Vallejo, and you know there'd be a gang of guys sitting there shooting craps on the sidewalk. You know, yeah, guys robbing, plenty robbing of trouble other, to be found. Drug addled bums running around everywhere. Yeah, you yeah. know, you could find anything to get in trouble with, and that's all there is to do in Vallejo. Literally, there's nothing there but you oh, know shit. opportunities to do drugs and shoot people, or you know, getting getting uh, getting in fights or you know, any kind of trouble you want to get into, you can get into it there. That's it's good for that. Okay. But so that's what I did for that for that time. But at that time, right after that, I uh I started uh you know, hanging around in Benicia. Uh you know, Vallejo and Benicia are named after like a uh generals, yeah. Yeah, it's like the general and his wife. Yeah. Benicia's his wife. Yeah. Benicia. Uh Vallejo is a I mean it's a nightmare. But I got. I got so I'm guessing house. you don't go back to visit back there very often. I still. I. I, I mean, I still. It's. It's weird because I have a, like a bittersweet relationship with it. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah I it get gave that. me some of my edge, but at the same time, it's like, <laughs> it's like, what? What can I use that for? You know. Yeah. So then I started. Uh, basically, I got a, a house with all my buddies, and it's a long story how I ended up landing there. But I started as a guy on the couch. And then I ended up basically like running a room. Or... Yeah. Well, I ended up basically handling all the bills in the house and basically 
handling every adult activity in the house. And I yeah. had a bunch of hoodlums that live with me. Good for you. So we had a bum that lived with us too, which is crazy. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we brought him in off the streets and we like gave him a room. No shit. Yeah. His name was Alan. Uh, he's, I'm sure he's passed away by now, but he was around 60 something years old. We found him in a house one Christmas, like an abandoned house. <laughs> like that was your present. Yeah, and uh, well, it's a miracle. We're talking, we're 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 talking to him, and I was like, "Hey, man, you could come over for Christmas." And I came over. He came over, and I gave him some. Uh, I gave him a gift, and the next thing you know, he like he befriended us. He was hanging out there with us, like an yeah, old guy yeah. hanging out with a bunch of young guys. Yeah, yeah, and just. I don't know. After a while, I was like, "Hey, man, you need a place to stay. You can, you know, you can stay." And I set up a, a cot in my closet, <laughs> and he was sleeping in my closet for a while, dude. Oh like, my god! The door was open, you know. Was, yeah. He, but I just he needed a place, so I just gave it to him. Yeah, That's yeah. the kind of person I was, you know. Even even being the kind of like kind of a punk and and doing you know doing bad stuff, you know. Uh, at that point, I was still. I've always been a generous person, willing to. Sure, to sure. help people out in, hard, over, in a hardship. Over time, he just found his way out? Or? Yeah. So we started grappling in that house, dude. Uh, <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> well, yeah, we had you know, move, a bunch of, move young, the furniture. We're bunch going. of young guys in there, and we were watching UFC and and the old Pride tapes. Like, me and my, my wife's cousin Joe. You'd have to get Joe, them at the Blockbuster, right? You no, know, what we do is my wife's cousin Joe, he's like, he's like a bookworm, uh-huh. you know, even more so than I was, and... He found out that if he goes out to Japantown in uh, in San Francisco, there's a there's a video store out there that sells all the old prides, dude. Oh, cool. So we so we started getting all these old pride videos like before anyone knew what they were, and uh, we just got obsessed with Sakuraba, dude. We we're just like. We we're watching soccer. So many, you know, Sakuraba is just everything, dude. We were just like, oh, this is crazy. We would go out there literally like once a month to just get, go to, to just Japan go get the old, the old pride tapes and and find, see what we could find, dude. Like Valley Tudo ninety three, and I mean, we were just digging in anything we could find in that little video store. We would just buy it, like yeah. any kind of crazy stuff, rings. I mean, old school stuff, dude. Dream all those, like yeah, yeah, it's all just those old, old school, old school stuff, and. I mean, once I started knowing, like I seen the the, the first Bushido uh, with uh, with all the Gracies, and uh, I just started getting fascinated with it. I was like, dude, we got to learn how to do this. Like, we yeah, got to learn how yeah. to do this uh, jujitsu stuff. Yeah, my like, moment for that was watching uh, Forrest Griffin dismantle uh, Rampage with the leg kicks. Yeah, and I was like, fuck this, you know, because Rampage was a lot bigger. Rampage was a lot bigger, a lot um. A lot more athletic, you know, yeah. had better, had better all around, I think, you know, fighting abilities, um, was definitely the better boxer before us just kind of kept his distance and had a better strategy. Yeah. Had a better strategy. I was like, wow, there's really something to this. It's martial arts. Yeah. It called to me, you know, I seen that dude. Cause, uh, to go back just to like probably a few years, a few years before when I was living in Martinez, uh, the first UFC came out. Oh, wow. Okay. And I actually got, I thought it was like WWF wrestling because I was still into that. And I got my mom to uh, rent the first pay-per-view, like the very first one. And I watched it and I watched Hoist Gracie, you know, uh, beat all those guys. And I didn't like it, dude. Because I had a misconception of, of what martial arts was. Like my mind was not mature enough to understand what what just happened. You thought the big buff guy was gonna win. Like, you thought like chemo. I or... thought the the kickers, the strikers. I'm like, dude, where's where's all these? You know, where's all the kung fu guys? You know, oh, I'm yeah. thinking Jean Claude Van Damme, and I'm seeing this guy choke people and 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 yeah. and lay on people. The pajamas like, look funny. Dude, yeah, what the is gee this? Looks, the gee looks funny. He comes out. He pulls someone on top of him. You know, it wasn't exciting at all, dude. And I remember, it like, I, t- I mean, to this day, I have a hard time watching jujitsu. You know, yeah. um, no gi jujitsu is a lot is a lot easier for me to watch uh, than gi jujitsu. You know, and I love jujitsu, but it's it's hard to watch. Like, it's a lot of fun to do. But sometimes gi jiu-jitsu in particular, like when people are stalling, like IBJJF gi jiu-jitsu, yeah. they do a little better in the super fights when they do like those like one-off super fights yeah. and, and it's like sub only. I like that a lot. Actually, It just doesn't translate, does it? Yeah, it doesn't translate. Yeah. You just can't without, it's just missing something. And it, 
something interesting while I was watching that Eddie Bravo that that combat jujitsu. Yeah, I'm like, dude, this is the way I was thinking it should always be. Like, right, right. Well, because it it allows you to sort of simulate ground and pound. Yeah, That's man. Like, and so it puts a renewed um, focus on position. I'm like, dude, but then there's just one step further than this. It's just, yeah, there's just always that one step <laughs> further than this. Yeah. You can't, you cannot have jujitsu without the strikes. It doesn't, it, it doesn't exist without that. Yeah. And that, and, and that, and that's where I started like really thinking about martial arts. Like, okay, so I'm rolling on the ground with these guys, you know, in this in this room and like we brought like strangers over from the other neighborhoods and people come over and dude i was just beating their asses like because i was actually learning learning some very rudimentary grappling but it because we were doing it every day getting in there on that carpet you're dry, figuring it out we were figuring things out and all by ourselves just from watching videos and i remember i brought this one uh this one guy i worked with uh at this gas station i was working at I brought him up there and uh, I actually didn't work with him. He was just a customer that came in and I was talking to him about it and he wanted to come over and, and try it out. <laughs> he wanted he to come he, over and wrestle him He was a wrestler. Room. Yeah, he's a wrestler. He thought he... He's going to beat your ass. Yeah, he's like, okay. And he came over, dude, and I just... I, I, uh, Did I you figured, him? I, no, I, uh, I Americana'd him. Oh, my God. Uh, and, then, uh, and then I jumped on his back and choked him out with a rear naked choke right after that. How did he take that? He was blown away, dude. Like... He, he it hurt his ego. I could tell because he was kind of a big, kind of uh, tough dude, and and he thought he was just gonna come there and beat on this skinny little dude. And then I was climbing all over him. He didn't know what to do. He was like, "What the hell is this? This guy's uh, this guy's tearing me up." <laughs> and uh, so that guy, uh, so that like, I was like, "Man, this stuff works." Like whatever this is, I we were calling what we were calling it because. We were super interested in, in, in shoot the box and and Vanderlei Silva and all those guys. Right. We were like, we're gonna call it lounge a box because this is uh, <laughs> in the this lounge. Is our, yeah, this is our lounge. This is our. That's what we called the place. It was called the four twenty lounge. I, I can only you can only imagine why. You know, that we did very, a lot of very uh, creative, <laughs> a lot of things there. So it was the four twenty lounge, and uh, so we called it we called it lounge a box, and uh, uh, soon after that, my buddy. Uh, my buddy Joe, who's my cousin by marriage, okay, I married his his first cousin. Okay, uh, he started going to Solano Junior College. Okay, and we, me and him, were like major grappling partners. Like, we'd go in his backyard, lay out a tarp, and just like go go at each other, like try to figure it out. And his this dad, was like the early to mid nineties. Yeah, and his dad yeah. taught him kung fu. Okay, and like. You know, he was—he actually like was a real legitimate kung fu guy from San Francisco. Like he learned from some real guys from Hong Kong, and some of them are still over there. Okay. And uh, anyway, so Joe was more interested in real martial arts. So he started going to Solano College, and there's a uh, there's a, a a doctor there, uh, one of the professors. His name's James Tanaka, okay. and he's a seventh dan uh, judo from the Kodokan. And he's a real martial artist. Not only that, he's a black belt in karate too. Okay. Uh, a Japanese karate, but uh, he's a little guy, tiny little dude. I'll bet. And uh, you know he'd been through it, dude. His family got sent to the intern camp when he was a kid. I mean, this is a real Japanese man of okay. history, you know. And uh, like he didn't, he didn't really like me like that much. My cousin Joe was like, come on, you got to come try this class out. I was like, okay. What was the class specifically? It was, it was judo? A, it was a judo club. Judo, okay. It was a judo club at the, at the college. You got physical education credits for it. So okay. I was like, oh, I'll do it, man, whatever. I'm, I'm always been educated, interested in ed- education and learning things. So I was like, I'll, I'll try it, man. I mean, we're already doing this. So I went there, and I wasn't doing real well with the judo throws, like, but I was – I was tearing these guys up in Niawaza, like brown belts in judo. Like, I'm I'm doing pretty good against you, them on can, the ground. Can you take a minute and explain Niawaza to me? Uh, you, ground, got like, you got like 30 seconds on the ground. Or judo judo groundwork, yeah. So, but how, how does how does the, the the rule set work for the ground? You got like 30 yeah, you get seconds? 30 seconds. Uh, Basically, is that it? it it's, or what? it's become it, see the the rules have have changed over the years. Groundwork used to be a lot more allowed. Like they would like a pin was considered a lot. A lot more of a, a important thing in judo and arm bars and submissions and those things, but 
now they're looking for exciting throws. So they've taken away all the leg throws. Uh, basically, you can't pick anyone up by the legs. No more double legs, any of that kind of stuff. Can you just like, can you kind of like blast double through them without going cannot, down to a knee? You cannot attack the legs anymore in, in modern judo. They're it's really watering, in my opinion, they're really watering it down. Uh, so it's, it's Greco-Roman wrestling with a gi on, basically. Basically, yeah, you could say that. This, you know, the foot sweeps are still there, and uh, the leg reaps and, and stuff trip. like that. And you can, you know, you can trip and and do, and do those sort of things. But the groundwork is basically dead, okay. unless you're able to attack a move really, really quickly, like right away. It's not. They're just gonna stand you back up. Got it. Got it. But uh, so you show up to this judo class, and I start. I started just like tearing these guys up on the people, ground, I'm yeah, guessing, like yeah. doing doing stuff they'd never seen, and a lot of these guys were new people too. But there were some guys, some qualified like you know judo guys in there, and I was tearing them up too. And there was one guy in there. His name's Dan Marks. Okay. Well, he's not an ordinary judo guy. He is a blue belt from Caesar Gracie. Oh, cool. Okay. So <laughs> Dan Marks. Uh, uh, shout out to uh, Danny Damage, <laughs> El Nino. Uh, Dan Marks is a serious beast. Okay, you know he's an MMA fighter. Uh, uh, just a badass in jujitsu. Yeah. Little st- strong, stocky dude, and he's doing. He's been doing this judo class for a while because he likes Mr. Tanaka, and you know has a lot of respect for him. So. He, he just he just comes in there and just railroads me, dude. I mean, <laughs> oh man, he you know he hurt me. Yeah, yeah. And I deserved it because I was trying to hurt him. Yeah. And he yeah. realized that, like, he's like, this guy's got some fight in him, right? Yeah. And he's like, eh, just put it on me. Yeah. And then he's like, hey, if you ever really want to train some ground, man, uh, you can come over to Pleasant Hill. Was that the El Nino training center? That, that's that's uh, Caesar Gracie. That's okay. like the that was the route. Okay. And I and I I would start going in there on Saturdays because that was like their open mat. And dude, I would run into like, I mean, serious dudes in there. Like, so you they, trained for the first couple of years without any proper instruction. Basically, yeah. That's rough. I and then I uh, thought I knew something, and then uh, but you didn't. I didn't know it yeah. as nearly as much as I thought I did. And then I went over there at Caesars and got just smashed. But then there was a couple guys I was over there hanging with, you know, a couple of the white belts. I was doing way better than I should have been with them. So I'm still thinking I'm good. And then I started going with like, you know, Nate Diaz was a blue belt. Oh, wow. You know, Nick Diaz was a purple belt. And then there was a guy, George Albert, there that was a purple belt. And these guys were just savages, and they would just destroy me, dude. Like, I never really got uh, officially like into Caesar Gracie, but I was there. I was going there and training with yeah, with these yeah, guys, yeah. you know. And uh, I did that for off and on for three years, like two, three years. Wow, what were the like, Diaz brothers like, dude? Those guys, those guys are all were always talented. I remember like one time uh, we did like a like a, a train like. Uh, a, like a training train, like they we had switched one guy to the next guy, yeah, and yeah. you go down the line, and uh, <laughs> there's dude Brandon Sacedo that lives out here in Sacramento, uh, basically choked me unconscious. Oh my god! And then uh, right after that, then I got shipped, I got pushed over to Nick, and 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 like I got rolled up in a little ball, dude, and like I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell is this? Why am I doing this to myself? My neck's hurt, like. And then he's. This is all hurting. Yeah. I'm asking. I'm and I'm asking him. I asked him. I'm like, dude, you know what the heck, man? He's like, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, about a year, maybe, maybe, maybe two. And he goes, he goes, don't worry about it. I've been doing this for about eight years. (laughs) He was super nice to me, though, like super kind. Yeah. And I was, and and that kept me wanting to come back. So I'm like, these dudes are actually, you know, yeah, they're cool dudes. And I didn't know they were in the UFC yet or anything. I. I was kind of oblivious to who these dudes really were. Right, right. And then I started finding out. I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I'm fighting with UFC dudes. Oh, shit. These guys are pretty good. Yeah. So then I didn't feel so bad. So, so when, when did you start training, like, properly? Uh, So my first, I have to say when I moved to Sacramento was uh, 
my actual first let's 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 give you instruction and you know i walked into brothers jiu-jitsu and uh and they're still going strong and that was a wrap dude yeah when i went there like john go was like standing out front and i went up to him and he just had this snarl on his face and he's like <laughs> what's up man i'm like what's going on i go you guys grapple here like i didn't know nothing dude. <laughs> and he's like he's like yeah we do something like that come on in <laughs> went in there dude it was in this i mean the room was not much bigger than this dude are you serious like, the original brothers jiu-jitsu was, was tiny bro the walls were padded and we would fight in there bro we would that's why there's so many tough dudes that come out of there is because yeah the spicy first, johnny's pretty tough the first six years like my first six years there were just horrible really it was just we were in there to kill <laughs> it was it was some real stuff that that jujitsu in that place was crazy yeah like kind of like that hard nose like old man, brazilian style we had we had dudes in there we had one guy frenchy who was uh 300 plus uh pound power lifter uh he used to come in with a wrestling singlet on dude <laughs> and just sit on you and it was disgusting dude like he would leave that thing in his in his trunk for weeks dude and put not it back wash on. it <laughs> put it back on and come in come in and destroy you bro like he's a brown belt and he was he was legit like those guys used to used to drive down to la and train with hickson oh wow like that's how mario that's how mario got so good is he went down with hickson and then uh he went with uh carly okay and he, uh, what's the guy's name? There's another Gracie. There's a, they call him the Gracie Tiger. Uh, I don't keep up. He he's over in he's over in San Francisco. He's an old one. He's a he's a uh, I want to say he's a red belt now. Okay. He's uh, Clark Gracie's dad. Okay. I can't I can't think of his name right now. I'm sorry, sir. But uh, um, yeah. Mario would go down to L.A. and train with all those guys, and then he trained with um with the guy in San Francisco. And then he met Charles. So Mario, our sensei, Mario Cerezo, or my sensei, uh, he's straight fresh from the fountain, dude. Like, straight from the Gracies. Yeah. You know? And if you've ever taken a class from from one of the Gracies that was part of the family back in the day, you know, Charles is Half's brother. Mm. So this is pure jujitsu. This is different. It's different. Yeah. You know, it's it's based on fighting. Yeah, yeah. It's based on grinding. It's based on having a dominant position self defense. Through, through leverage. It's based on self defense, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not flowy. It's not pretty. Yeah. It works though. If you use it if you try to use it in a fight, you know, and you've been training it and, and building these these uh muscle uh this muscle memory, um yeah, you're gonna you're gonna mess somebody up. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it's it's ingrained in you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how would how would you describe that as compared to like the new school jujitsu? New school new school jujitsu is beautiful. It has its place. Yeah, it is beautiful. Um, it's very strategic. Uh, it's about it's about to me it's about taking the back. New school jiu-jitsu is all about getting to the back. Mm. Old school jiu-jitsu to me is about mount and about uh, putting yourself in position to strike. Yeah. Okay. So you see it as mostly about positions. It's, it's position. Yeah. It's position to me. It's like, you know, uh, the back is great because it gives you a lot of opportunities. Yeah. But in a street fight, you're probably not going to get someone's back. Or why would you want to? You know, exactly. You know, in a street fight, you're going to try to be facing. They're, they're going to try to face you with all they can, and you're going to try to face them. Well, yeah, I'm not sure I would want someone's back in a street fight because then I'm committed to the floor. They're going to jump backwards and slam your head. Yeah. Or their friends will come and jump you. It's just not. I, I wouldn't take the back in a street two fight. two different things. Yeah. And, 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 and that's. That's why I was trying to... Explain. Honestly, I would never even pass guard in a street fight. If someone's on their butt with their legs facing up, I have a one already. I can walk away. I don't have to. Like, it'd be my choice to jump into their guard or to try and hurt them past that. But if they're, like, passively on their back, 
that's a street fight over. It's uh, over. I don't yeah, wanna, yeah, you can leave. You can leave. And that you know? and, and that's that's certain. It's like Mario always says, man. You know, if if you can if you can uh, body lock someone and, and slam them and take them, you know, take them down hard, you win. They're done. Yeah. On the pavement, it's it's over. Yeah, yeah. There's no you defense know? to that. <laughs> and, and Master Mario, uh, you know, he he's he would repeat the same things over and over again. Like we go in there and and we we would do we would do hip tosses, you know, uh, over and over again, like a hundred times, just every day, and, and people get bored of it. I'll bet, yeah. And it's, it's like, oh god, this this again, and it's like, no, dude, this again is building you. It's building you, but because you're not taking it serious and you're not really trying to learn it. It's just it, you're not you're not ever getting into it. Yeah, I you know I think I I got a little bit of that with my double leg in high school where yeah. it was you know every day double legs every day doubles and singles you know we yeah. didn't do we didn't really do a lot a lot else you know I developed an ankle pick on my own because I liked it yeah but it was every day doubles and singles and those are your meat and potatoes though those right those are your meat and potatoes and you know there was a couple of years where I was bored of it but to this day I have a I think a pretty good double. I felt like the other day when we were training, I was training over at Manny's yesterday and, and like from training with you guys at ultimate fitness, yeah. like my wrestling is gone from down here. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. dude, out of nowhere, like I did something I don't never do. I just, I, you know, I, I got in a half guard and I, I picked a single and I just switched a double and I blasted a double on him super fast and just took him right down. Yeah. So easy. Yeah. And, and I was sitting there, I'm like, oh, I'm so, I'm so like, <laughs> I was beaming inside my brain. I'm like, so proud that I just did that. Yeah, I just wrestled but, a little bit. Yeah. But then, uh, but then thinking about that, like, I would have never done that hadn't been like for guys like you who had that drilled into them. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over again. And, and what I'm saying with that is like, what I teach, what I teach now, I teach exactly what Mario taught me. I teach mount. Mm. People say, "Oh, what would you do from here?" Oh, I mount him. Yeah, I will. I will mount. I will try to mount you. I will try to get You're that top to position. All, all, every, every time from all half the time. guard, from side control, anywhere. From everything. If you, if you got me mounted, I'm thinking about mounting you. <laughs> I'm not thinking about escaping. I'm thinking about how can I mount this fool. Wow. Wow, and 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 that's and that's what that's that's Hickson. That's that bro. likes that pressure style of jujitsu. That's Hickson, bro. You know, and Hickson has that that critique of modern jujitsu that it's losing its fight identity, right? It is, man. It, it truly is. Yeah, it is. And it, you know, I'm gonna do a separate uh, separate segment re- reviewing No Gi Worlds, but um, and the fights that we saw over the weekend, but. You know, just to, as a quick as a quick comment, I saw a lot of pulling guard. I saw a lot of fights one by one advantage. Yeah. I saw a lot of fights like, you know, one guy was, I saw one, I think it was um, the guy who beat AJ Agazarm in the semifinals. Yeah. Was up, was, he was up by an advantage with a minute left. So he pulled a guard and just held guard for a minute. He wins. These guys are getting so good, though. At the, at the strategy of it. The line, that's why I say it's strategic, dude. It's the line is so thin that you make one mistake and that's it. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, or if you let someone pull guard on you when they're up an advantage. And then your only choice is to is to pass guard. You have a minute to pass that guard, and if you don't, well, then they win. You know, it's like that's what I love love about these submission only tournaments. Like you know who's the winner, bro. Like yeah. you really know who's the winner. Like yeah, yeah. And and it, you you tell some truth to yourself. Like whether you want to realize it or not. Like if you tap, you, you tap. Get, you get that final like say so, and I li- I live for that, dude. Like knowing who I really am. That's part of the the search of jujitsu, man. That's like one of the big things. Is like, man, maybe I'm not that good. That's okay though. Yeah, you know what I liked was um, probably the the best production, most enjoyable to watch, um, sort of competitive uh, BJJ I've seen was the brown belt kumite that Lord oh, Ruben put man, on. That they'll there will never be. They'll, that was like an all star tournament. They got to do that again, man. That was the coolest thing. That, that was, was the coolest thing. Man, there were so many good guys that came out of that. That was like Keenan's, you know. That was Keenan's uh, coming out party. Yeah, that was, and and, and like his point jujitsu, like to me is like serious. Like well, he's a world he's champion. Got some yeah. Serious jujitsu, dude. Like yeah. that is no joke. Yeah, and it, it's not just like you know pretty. It's useful. 
he does a lot of amazing things. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, I mean, there's so many good competitors and so many beautiful, like, technicians out there that, you know, now it's just rich. Back in the day, it used to be, you'd see, you know, Salo Hibero or, or Zanji or, you know, one of these guys, and they were the top of the heap. But now there's, you know, 25 guys that are just as good as they are. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're past the era where there's going to be, like, one person every era, right? Like, you know, yeah. maybe just, like, two generations ago, it was, like, Marcelo and nobody before or after him. And yeah. then after Marcelo, it was sort of like, God, I mean, Sanjay. Solo, there's no, there's know? no, there's no Michael Jordans anymore. There's no, yeah. No, everyone's too good. Although Gordon's looking pretty fucking dominant. Yeah, he is. Um Submission but, only, he is. He is definitely. Yeah, yeah. Is you know like? I mean, I just I just watched him. I just watched him tap out Yuri. Yeah, Yuri, Yuri's a beast too. That's yeah, another, but you know, Gordon's like 170 pounds though. You yeah, know, and Yuri's like 240. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, you know, those guys are are super strong. If you look at Gordon though, there's definitely been a body change in that guy. Yeah, there was a quick body change. That guy, very quick, overnight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it makes you wonder. It all always makes you wonder. <laughs> it makes you, it makes you wonder. like you see these guys like you know I'm I'm 39, dude. No my, shit. You know my body, my body. I work. You out. still got a lot of oomph when you're old, though. I take care of myself. Yeah, you, you know? still got a lot. Of, like you still go hard. Yeah, I I, I do because I don't know. I, I look at it like I think I kind of look at it like Kurt, Kurt Osiander does like. These are all these young lions are like trying to take my take my food, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I'm not gonna let that happen. You, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to really take it from me. You might, yeah. but you might not. But you're not just gonna get it. Yeah, like so. I mean, I've had like several guys that I know are you know fighters and professional fighters, and they're like they they can't deal with it. Yeah, yeah. And they, but at the same time, I've had dudes go in there and just beat beat the tar out of me too. Just handle me yeah yeah you know a lot of that's about stylistic matchups too like there's some people's styles that i can't deal with <laughs> and even though i'm not sure that they're better than me all around but their style for some reason is just like kryptonite to me yeah and um and then there's other people where i think objectively they're probably much better than me but that's not reflected in the role no. you know because for whatever reason they struggle against my style yep. and so i think that the that's kind of what's interesting about it to me is you as you, you know, when you, jujitsu to me is not, it's a wonder to me that anyone even starts because it's not that interesting to start. You just get yeah. your ass beat for a long time. Exactly. You know, so I'm not, I'm not actually sure. Maybe a psychologist can, can, can come on sometime and tell us why we start doing this because it's pretty fucking miserable for the first three years. You got to be crazy. You got to be a little crazy, dude. Like, yeah. Or you, you got to have like kind of a chip on your shoulder, like some kind of something that, that you want to earn ego. respect or something. Yeah. I always tell people, because I, I always see those uh, signs about people's doors, uh, uh, leave your ego at the door, you know, this kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's all you got on the mat. <laughs> to me, to me, to me, it's like, uh, I, I think it doesn't a little bit of ego. A little bit of ego is okay. Destroying your ego. It's about developing a healthy ego. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, like, yeah. You you need to have that ego to drive you to be good at anything. If you don't have that ego, you, you won't. You won't pursue greatness in anything yeah i think a little bit of ego is 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 okay that's probably really cultural in terms of how you how you feel about that like i don't know i feel like ego is what really drives like those like dojo wars where like yeah. you and your buddy are just like going going to war for like 20 minutes 30 that's minutes that's where you get better you know? right yeah yeah like when you dude for every one of those things there's a guy josh josh uh fry that uh trains at brothers and if you train with this guy, you're probably going to believe he's one of the best guys you've ever, ever rolled with in your entire life. Yeah. And me and that guy have had just... The craziest just wars. wars. Just wars. The last half an hour, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, just rolling, dude, to the point where I'm dead and he's still going. Like, And then every now and then, I'll catch him in something, dude, and I'll grow like so much from that from getting tapped a hundred times before that from him. But then that one time happens and I, I'm like, I catch him and then I'm like, boom, I grow. And I'm like, wow, you yeah. just made me better. Yeah. That's one of those things where like people don't, don't want to get, they don't want to get beat up partially, but that's really how you, how you get better. My, my training partner's brother, um, older brother, who's sort of like an older brother to 
to many of us on our on the on our wrestling team was like, yeah, that's how you get better. Is you get your ass beat a lot. I was like, fuck, I don't want to. You know, back you know in high school, it was easier for me to get my ass beat because you could kind of like think that you'd get better one day yeah. but now when you're like a full-grown man it's like damn i'm just a full-grown man getting my ass beat <laughs> you're not yeah you're, <laughs> you you're, know you're you're just and the thing is, is like someone told me a tide raises all ships in the harbor yeah, yeah. the problem is the guys that are are better than you unless they stop doing jujitsu they're, they're gonna, gonna get a lot better be better than you yeah they're gonna get a lot better <laughs> and you're not gonna catch them and you have to accept that there's some people that you'll never catch You'll never be as as good as that guy, and that's a humbling thing. Yeah, that's the, where they just seem to have your number. Like, give me a second to deal with this. Yeah. I'll have to cut this out. You know, it's always one thing or another. I'll cut this out. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure Mikey's always going to be better than me. You know, he's pretty fucking good, so there's no you, shame in that. You pick you you pick him. Yeah, yeah, you pick your adversary. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm certain that Josh is probably going to always be better than me. Yeah, but yeah. There's never going to be a time where I don't give him a hundred percent. Yeah, like Mikey and I's last role was like pretty competitive, honestly. Yeah. But he's also like a good forty pounds lighter than me. <laughs> it's like, all right, like, that guy's tough, dude. That, that guy's, guy's phenomenal. Guy, that guy's tough. That, that guy's, guy's phenomenal. He's, he's got that. He's got that old that. He's got that old jujitsu style. It's that Caesar Gracie, that Caesar Gracie ground ground that into Nate and Nick, dude. I mean, he made those guys into savages, dude. Those guys already have savage personalities. They're they're willing to break themselves to, to succeed, but at the same time, dude, like Caesar poured like that samurai spirit in in, in into him, dude. Yeah, it's yeah. there, man. It, it's like in the Gracies, like. That's what I was talking about, water from the fountain. Like, when you spend time with those guys and they actually, like, impart what... Like their knowledge. Yeah, their knowledge, their, just their spirit, dude. It's, it's like, contagious. Like, yeah. when you're on the mat with Half and you look over at him, dude, he, I, all he's got to do is give you a look and you know, like... It's on. Dude, I, We're training, I don't want to... We're training hard. I don't want to make him mad. Like, yeah. it's, it's intense, dude. There's just this fire that burns in those guys. And it, it it just comes from generations of, of not to be fucked with. Just it, it's pounded into them, dude. Yeah, yeah. And like Charles is, you know, Charles doesn't look doesn't look like a bad man. Like when you look at him, he looks like a like a kind of like a Portuguese grandpa. You know, like <laughs> you, you see him, and like oh, he's like a Portuguese grandpa, dude. Get on the mat with that guy. Find out. Yeah, like yeah. that guy will kill you. He will. He will. He will turn you into a pretzel. Oh, that's funny. And it does not look like that. Yeah, yeah. It it's a it's a secret. Like that's where where martial arts and like you know sport the the magic the magic like yeah. people. I was always looking for that magic. Like what is that like secret death touch? You know. Yeah. Those dudes have it, bro. Like, yeah, it turns out it's just a lot of really hard grappling. They have it. Whatever whatever is whatever that is that builds that kind of thing. Like no. you can't when you when you grab their gi and try to cross choke them, you get weaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I can't choke this guy. I don't right. know why. Yeah, yeah. You know who's you know who's got a little bit of that is is Franklin. Have you rolled <laughs> with Franklin? Frank the Tank. Frank the Tank. Yeah, man. He he's a lot stronger than he looks, man. He's a lot stronger than he looks. You know, he's pretty good. I'm pretty sure he's not. I'm pretty sure he's not as strong as I am. Yeah, I'm a little bit bigger. But fuck, he's pretty strong. He's, he's pretty good. He's dude. pretty close. Yeah, like he um, he surprises me a lot. Where I'm just like, God, dude, how are you so, how are you so imposing? You know, guys are strong. Uh, they get that, develop that that grappling strength. You know, that's like Neil. Neil's constantly telling me, he's like, dude, your grips are crazy. Like I've never felt grips like that. Yeah, my grips he's, aren't that strong. My hands aren't that big. You know, and yeah. Like my my squeezing and my clinch is strong, but my grips aren't that strong, honestly. You you nailed me with that double leg the last time we rolled though. Oh that, yeah, that was that was pretty sick, dude. I was <laughs> yeah, like, dang. I, yeah, I think my all around grapplings, the ultimate fitness though. That was the, yeah, that was a good one. I was like, yeah, Damn, that was like dude, a good like knock the wind, wrestler, knock the wind out of you. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't expect it from you neither because I was standing with you and you kind of lulled me into it. Like, yeah, I, I was like, I'm gonna judo toss him, and then all of a sudden you're like, boom! I'm like, what? Yeah, this yeah, just got me. Yeah, that's kind of my that's kind of like my. My specialty. Connor does a lot of that too. It's, and then um, 
Lawrence Kenshin has this like tutorial on sort of like uh, manipulating timing. Uh huh. And it's just kind of like you, like Connor does this thing where he throws like like four slow punches, but the fifth one is like lightning fast. You know, yeah. and he'll come in. He'll come into like several exchanges and throw four slow punches, and then he'll come. He'll jump back into the pocket and throw four, you know three or four slow punches. And so you're, you're expecting that, you know? And then, like, on that final exchange, he'll jump in and throw four slow punches, then throw a fifth one that's, like, lightning fast. And that's what he did to Eddie. Yeah. You know, he jumped into that pocket. He jumped into the pocket with Eddie, and he threw, like, three slow punches and then, like, one quick one. Dude, he hit him, like, four times before he hit the ground. <laughs> he <laughs> was like, what? <laughs> like, pow, 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 pow. I, I, that's, yeah. Dude, that's my, like, all the dudes that have ever seen fight – He's the closest to like Super Saiyan level. I, Connor? I, yeah, I just can't. People, people want to talk mess, and you know, everyone can have their opinion, yeah, right? Yeah. But unless you've actually been in the cage and know what it takes to do what that guy's doing, yeah, yeah, like it's no joke. You know, he's um, <laughs> I, I really think he's kind of changed the the. He's changed the game in, in ways that I think people appreciate and other ways that are that are not so easily discernible. And what I mean by that is I think everyone appreciates that he's changed the the promotional nature of the game in terms of like the you know, he's fucked up three weight classes. Yeah, he has. He fucked up one so when Max Holloway defended the title against Aldo, that was the first title defense in, in um three years. Yeah. Because he wreaked havoc on that weight class. And he fucked up one fifty five because, you know, he's a he's a he's an absent champ. He right. didn't beat everybody at 155, but he yeah. he beat the best guy that was out there at the yeah. time. Yeah, and um, and I get he's fucking up 170 right now too because I get the sense that the the champ is on the shelf waiting for waiting for a Connor fight, and Diaz is on the shelf waiting for a Connor fight, and then you know GSP's coming back. And he's probably waiting on a Connor fight too. So you know, Connor fucked up three three weight classes, and so he changed the game in that way. And another way that he changed the games, I think that he changed the distance at which at which people are fighting at now. So he um, those like sidekicks and those oblique kicks are a lot more popular now that he's, he's Dude, like he destroyed with Chad with those. He, yeah, he, he did. He killed him with those. Yeah, he did. He, Chad never had a chance. No, he started tearing that body up, dude, and that was it. I feel like as about. If there's a real, um, if there's a real difference in the style in which the two fighters fight, and if there's a real difference in the distance in which they fight, you can tell within about thirty seconds who's going to win the fight. And by which I mean that Connor in that fight really fought at the end of his teep. Yeah, he did. He, you know, it actually wasn't so much a teep because the teep is like a pushing kick. It was like a, this is a front snap. It's like a snap, kick like a snap kick to right? the solar plexus yeah, to, yeah, over and over rough. again. Yeah, <laughs> but he fought at the end of that kick. Yeah, you know, and you know, within thirty seconds, you could see that Chad wasn't able to get in. Nope. And so it was like, well, okay, well, this is. I think it's pretty clear who's going to win this fight. And then you he know? starts mixing in the power shots, the spinning heel kick. He'll yeah. land that right in the same place he just landed the snap kick, and you can't take. You can't take tap, too many tap, of those. Tap, tap, power. Tap, 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 power. Well, interrupts your breathing. He's just, and he's too good at doing it. Yeah. His, his timing, his in and out, his in and out karate stance. Yeah. He's well. That side stance is more popular now too. Yeah. You know, um, uh, Henry Cejudo lined up in a side stance last time he fought. Yeah, too, he did. You know? He so did. So a lot of people are a lot of people are kind of looking at this stuff, and uh, you know, he really predicted the future, man. He was sort of like when he when he he called Dustin Poirier basic. Yeah, and Dustin Poirier got really upset at that, but it was kind of like he was kind of like foretelling the future in that sense, where he was like, "No, like the next generation of of MMA people are going to be fighting maybe a little bit more sideways and a little bit further apart from each other, and not in that like that Muay Thai style is really squared up. It you're is. presenting your whole shoulder, you're presenting everything to your opponent. You know, yeah. um, the guys who you know the guys who fight with that style have not aged gracefully." Shogun is not aged gracefully. You take a lot. You take a lot, you know. Um that bladed um that bladed boxing stance is really is really what you want to to protect your head, you know? Yeah. Um and then Connor found a way to fight in that bladed stance without really being susceptible to leg kicks, which people didn't think was possible. Yeah, he's got a weird way of checking of checking kicks. He kinda he he, he kind of picks his shin up and leans his his knee like the hard bone right below the knee down on the kick like at an angle. Oh so when, yeah yeah yeah. So when when they kick, he kind of just 
he he plants his foot and pressures his and puts his leg at an angle to where it's it's you're hitting the almost, knee, you're hitting the almost, knee almost. It's almost snapping down on the kick. Yeah, it's it, it's really. I mean, it's, it's it's brilliant. Like I watch him, I'm like, how is he doing that? And I I, I rewind, I rewind, rewind. I I want to see it. You know, I want to see what's actually going on. And that's why guys don't want to kick him in the legs. It's not because they can't. It's because the way he's checking those kicks is messing their legs up. It's real painful. You don't want to get. You don't want too many of those. I mean. Uh, uh, Chris Weidman snapped Anderson Silva's leg with that with that yeah, same that checking inward, that inward sort of turning, right? It's it, it destroys your it'll destroy your shin. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too. Like when he fought when he fought when he fought Diaz, he turned into a Muay Thai leg kicker overnight, basically. Yep. You know where he was really more of a karate kicker. Uh, when he fought um, when he fought Seaver, he was leaping into kicks, but you know he probably had the luxury of doing so because he was so much bigger than Seaver. He wouldn't he didn't mind being taken down. He did the same thing with, with Holloway too. That kind of jump kick. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like he he does like a it's weird like a step a step and then a jump kick boom and uh, he he'll do it over and over again too. And it's, it's got a weird rhythm to it. Kind of kind of jumps up, wham, jumps up, wham. Yeah, yeah. From a lot further away than you would expect, you could be hit. He's, he's super fast at that. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, people are really, like, sort of, people are really high in on uh, Max Holloway right now, but I'm not sure that I see how he's any different than the Max Holloway that fought Connor. He seems like more the same. He seems like a really good brawler, a really good boxer, but I'm not sure that the tool set has evolved to make another fight with him competitive. Uh, maybe you're seeing something different? or No, not at all. Uh, just like It's just like Connor said. He goes, these guys fight me, and then they wait a little while and come back, and you're going to see they're going to be a lot better uh, for for uh, fighting me. He's yeah. all, they're going to learn. They're going to become better uh, better fighters. And he said that about about Poirier and, and other guys. And, yeah. and, and, dude, they've been on – every one of those guys have been on a tear yeah. since they fought Except him. Aldo. He seems to have, like, really taken Aldo's soul. Yeah, he I, – I think I think PEDs took Aldo's soul, too. Yeah, you know, can, are we at a point right now where there's not one Brazilian champ? Yeah, there's no more of that. There's a cyborg. Cyborg is the one Brazilian champ that's left, and let me. She got caught too. She got well, yeah. She, she got caught too. Um, but current Brazilian champs, so we've got Mighty Mouse. Uh, at thirty-five, we've got uh, TJ for Holloway, Ferguson, and Connor at fifty-five, seventy. Woodley eighty-five is. Who's the champ at eighty-five? Bobby Knuckles. That's right. Two hundred five. We got Cormier, and then we've got um. Stipe, and then we've got Chris. So Chris Cyborg is the only Brazilian champ, you know, yep. and that downfall sort of perfectly coincided with the implementation of USADA testing, didn't it? They, I mean, they're prolific. They See, are over there now. <laughs> over there, what I understand, and you know, if anyone's listening in Brazil, maybe wants to wants to comment below, um, let me know. But my understanding of it, and this is this is something that I heard um, third hand. So, you know, yeah. let me know. Y'all tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that steroids is an over the counter thing in Brazil. I believe it. It probably, it, it probably is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, so like they don't necessarily have a sense of, you know, they're doing something wrong. No, just, here, that's man. just, that's just sort of what to make you buff. Yeah. <laughs> well, every, everyone's running around Fortaleza looking real good too. Yeah. Got, everyone's running around real looking great. Got that beach body, bro. They got that beach body. Yeah. That way. <laughs> So, but I mean, all those guys, you know, had suffered a pretty, a pretty rough downfall after the implementation of steroid testing. They have. Hey, before you go real quick, you want to recap these fights? What's up guys. So from here on out, just go ahead and uh, check out the UFC Winnipeg and Nogi Worlds post-fight wrap up. If you want to continue uh, this discussion with Keith, Um, I did the post-fight with him uh, since I already had him in studio and wanted to do a post-fight anyways. I thought I would just do it with him. Um, The... What you heard here was was the actual episode with him, and um, yeah, sorry for the sort of abrupt ending to the um, to the episode, but that's just how we did it this week. Thank you. Bye.